0: This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.
1: In the distant future, humans are enslaved by machines. Only most people don't know that, as they live in an artificial reality known as the Matrix. This week, special guest Uri Moskowitz joins us to talk about a famous ancient Babylonian who did stuff, an epic prank to play on Morpheus, and how this movie ripped off a Gap commercial. Take the red pill and you'll find out if 1999's The Matrix stands the test of time.
0: James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love Still hold up today
1: James says gladiator With the glut And Alan
2: says as a father Blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love Still hold up today
0: Test of time James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love Still hold up today
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of The Test of Time. My name is Alan Noah. And my name is James Brief. And we have a very special guest with us tonight. We do. Uri Moskowitz, welcome to The Test of Time. (laughs) Thank you. It is great to have you here. Now, you are the last member of our little group of friends from college to be on the show.
2: That's correct. I guess so. Uh, A group consisted of Darren, Ernie, Mailer, and Brief. That stood for dumb. And we'd say, we're dumb. Yes, that's the four of us. And we also had a fifth friend, this guy, Al. And it didn't really fit in our abbreviation. So our group in college, we'd call ourselves, we're
1: dumb. Featuring Al. And, you know, (laughs) that kind of hurt, being the guy who was featured I don't know why I couldn't have been included in the, the name of the group. It's like Al and the Dumbs. But it wasn't. It was dumb. And then if you remembered, if I happened to be <laughs> standing within earshot, you would say, oh, oh, right. Um, and featuring Al, which is totally the official name of our group. I'm just saying I felt a little bit excluded. But that's okay because, Uri, now you're included because now you're on the podcast with us.
2: It's basically the test of time featuring Uri Moskowitz. I'm glad I never had to be one of those featured losers. I mean...
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, Uri, first question for you is why did you want to come on to talk about The Matrix?
0: Well, it's a good movie. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's one of the few movies that I've seen.
1: (laughs) Right. You're not exactly a pop culture buff.
0: No, I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV, and I don't watch a lot of movies, not not for probably 10 years at least. You don't waste your time
2: learning certain things that Al and I might waste our time with. Who or what is Kylie Jenner? Do you know what that is? No. Perfect. I mean, that's who you are. You you know so many things, but you also don't know a lot of silly things.
1: Listen, Uri, you are clearly one of the smartest people I've ever met. The fact that you don't know random pop culture stuff that's fine and you know about the matrix so that's all that matters so you can talk about the matrix you you have seen the movie right
0: yeah yeah i've seen it more than once very good okay so <laughs> twice now i never rewatch movies
1: But,
2: um, you know, for other people, if it's been a while since you've seen The Matrix, The Matrix is uh, the first in a trilogy. This movie is set in a dystopian future in which humanity is trapped inside a simulated reality called The Matrix. When computer programmer Thomas Anderson, a.k.a. Neo, is told the truth about The Matrix, he is released from the simulation and brought into the real world. There, he meets Morpheus, Trinity, and a group of others who are fighting back against the Machines. Neo eventually learns about his destiny, gets stronger in the Matrix, and ultimately wins a decisive victory against the Machines and the evil Agent Smith.
1: Right. And this is usually the part where I ask if it was like a big hit at the box office But I do not need to ask this question because I remember that this movie was a giant blockbuster. And also, I remember that it was one of those movies that everybody had on DVD.
2: Right. It was one of those that you almost show off. Like, you have a DVD player now. I have The Matrix. And, you know, it had the extra scenes or, like, the behind the scenes. It was just very cool. Do you remember the trailer for this film?
1: Not really, no.
2: It actually showed the bullet time scene in it. And, you know, giving it away, like, that is something from a marketing point of view. You go, we have to show this. And it just ended with what is the matrix dot com, which was kind of a big deal. And you know who Joel Silver is, the producer?
1: Yeah, I was going to say the producer.
2: Yeah, um, he, he produced a lot of big blockbuster films. He's sort of like a Jerry Bruckheimer kind. Like, he makes these real big films. And this film had a very big budget, uh, $63 million. The movie came out on March 31st, 1999. And it opened at number one with $27 million. So, you know, for a $63 million film, it is doing pretty well for opening uh, weekend. It wound up making $171 million. That's uh, more than a six times multiplier, seven times multiplier. And uh, it made $464 million worldwide.
1: Very, very impressive.
2: Now, the directors of this film, is it the Wachowskis or the Wachowskis? I always thought it was the Wachowski brothers, that's how they're billed. I thought Wachowski, but I could be wrong. Maybe. But uh, so they were born uh, Larry or Lawrence Wachowski and Andrew Paul Wachowski. And both of them have a transition from male to female. They are now known as the Wachowskis because the one that was born, Larry, is now known as Alana, And Andrew Paul
1: is now known uh, by the name of Lily. Right. And a lot of people have written how this movie is a metaphor For being trans and coming out as trans and the trans experience.
2: Well, uh, specifically, there's a minor character in this film. It's one of the people on the team with Morpheus and Trinity. It's a character, a short, blonde-haired woman, and her name is Switch. Mm -hmm. And what they were going to do was Switch was supposed to be someone who was male in real life. In The Matrix, it's a woman, or it might have been vice versa. That's why the character's name is Switch, but they never really get into why. And that was, uh, I don't know, maybe the directors or the studio didn't want it. Or maybe it would be a a confusing plot point back then.
1: No, it was because the studio pushed back on it. They didn't want to have it be that obvious about a trans character. So the studio kind of put the kibosh on that. But there are still a lot of other parallels and things that people have looked at this movie after uh, the Wachowskis came out and it was known that they were transgender and people have re-watched this movie and the trilogy as a whole and seen a lot of parallels and you know there have been plenty of think pieces and articles written about that about you know how these movies have been interpreted as you know sort of about that experience and there's tons of stuff online if you're if you're curious about it just google it and you'll find Many, many well-written articles and pieces about that. Yeah,
2: and uh, do you know the very famous person that was almost cast as Neo and basically turned it down?
1: Yeah, Will Smith.
0: Right. You know who Will Smith is, Erie? Yes. Okay,
1: awesome. Who is he, Erie?
0: The Prince of Allaire.
1: All right, very good.
0: And also that movie, The Aliens. I'm trying to remember the name of that. <laughs> Men in Black. Men in Black. Oh, you could have gone with
1: <laughs> the,
2: several answers with that one. What was the was the Bel Air thing? Can you say that one more time? Actually,
0: was it the Prince of Bel Air? Isn't it?
2: The uh, Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince. Fresh eh, Prince. All
0: right. I was willing to give him a full <laughs>
2: credit I, I was, that. too. I was like, good for you. Good for you. Um, so the opening scene, we basically find this mysterious woman dressed all in leather, uh, like patent leather, and she's breaking into a building. And there's some police officers that have been sent in. And there's some agent. It looks like one of these FBI guys. You know, he's the suit in the sunglasses. And he goes to the police chief, and he's like, you need to pull your men out. And the chief's like... I think we could take yes. care of one little girl. And do you remember what the chief says? Uh, the advice was for your protection, not for your something. Yeah, he says, <laughs> chief, your men are already
1: dead. Yeah. And right away we get one of those shots that this movie is famous for where she like does a kick and in midair the camera does... Is it a 360 or oh, maybe not a full 360? No, like a
2: 270 maybe.
1: Yeah, but it kind of goes like all the way around the room or mostly around the room to get the full shot of her mid air as she's beating up and killing all of these cops.
2: Yeah, and this really is not the first time I have seen this shot. Was it the first time you saw this shot, Al? Yes, For me, I had seen this shot about six months earlier in 1999. Do you remember the short swing craze from 1999?
1: 1998 was when Swingers came out. But yeah, we talked about it in that
2: episode. Well, there was a Gap ad that had, I think, that one the Brian Setzer Orchestra. So the Gap commercial had the swinging uh, camera work. And it was before the movie came out.
1: So the Matrix ripped off one of their iconic shots. From a Gap commercial? You know,
2: it's always possible that that this rig was made uh, 12 months before the film came out and, you know, some guy was like, hey, Gap people, like, you know, you can use this one too. And Gap aired it first. I was not as impressed by the rotating camera because I remember being wowed by that commercial, actually.
1: Wow. I am wowed by that piece of trivia, James. Yeah.
2: Then a couple of these FBI-looking guys start, uh, or actually I think only one of them, starts chasing uh, this mysterious woman and chasing her on the rooftops. And at first it's just you don't really know what's going on here. Yes, she made a cool kick, but then some weird stuff. Like she starts flying across uh, buildings, like jumping across streets, not just building to building, rooftop to rooftop.
1: She leaps across an avenue. And she escapes by going into a pay phone booth and picking up the receiver. And she just vanishes. And maybe she's dead.
0: The agent has crashed a truck into this phone booth. We don't know. So I'm wondering, this phone exit uh, from the Matrix, is there a meaning behind this? Why they chose a phone and why it has to be a random phone that they have to run three blocks to every time?
1: I don't know that there's a real answer to that. Watching it last night, I was thinking to myself, man, this movie's got like such high-tech stuff in it. And the way out of the Matrix is a payphone. Yeah, it is weird. I don't know that they ever really explain it. That it, That's just how they get out. It's old, random payphones.
2: Well, it leads to some questions I've always had about the Matrix. I mean, we're later going to learn in a really cool scene that this is not the first version of the Matrix. Earlier, the Matrix was a utopian society where everyone lives forever, no suffering. And... Basically, the human mind couldn't believe it. And they had to insert suffering and poverty and torture and criminals into this for humans to accept this as a reality. But my question was always why didn't they make the matrix exist in ancient rome like humans would function and work why didn't they make humans in you know columbus times like why did they make it
1: in a computer virtual reality era of humanity because that's what the computers knew that's what they were around for that's a good point yeah that that makes sense to me i
2: was just thinking like if it was if it was shakespeare's time like
0: they would even think that they're inside a computer you know what i mean and, and why does the phone stop ringing after the prescribed amount of rings that it's supposed to stop ringing at? That I don't know. Now it just uh, not fades out.
2: It's a cool transition. It's like a digital fade out. Um, and we come into focus on a sleeping computer programmer named Thomas Anderson.
0: Uh, I guess he's a hacker and someone is coming to buy some kind of what would at the time be called wares
2: um you know wares were it was the code for like pirated software or any kind of illegal software like softwares w-a-r-e-z oh i did not know that okay like today he would probably hand the usb drive i think he hands like a mini disc right yeah it's a mini cd
0: it's some kind of like Looks like it's some kind of media that's supposed to look futuristic. It's kind of cool, and Neo had been told on his screen,
2: "Follow the white rabbit," and that's when the door knocks and he sees these uh, his customer, his hacker customers.
0: They invite him out to have fun. Um, he's going to reject them, but uh, just as they're about to turn away, he notices the white rabbit tattooed. One of the, the women has a tattoo on her shoulder, and I guess when he sees that, he decides that he is going to go with them. So then after that, they go to the club. And the guy, was
1: as he was trying to convince Neo to come, he says, you really need to unplug, which I thought was a little uh, clever piece of foreshadowing there.
2: Yeah, hey, I never heard that. That's, that is very Yeah, good. yeah.
1: <laughs> and... Uh, He gets to the club and that's where he meets Trinity. She's the woman who we saw earlier. She was the one who is typing to Neo on his computer. And when she introduces herself, she says, I'm Trinity. And Neo says, oh, I always thought that you were a guy. And she says, yeah, a lot of guys think that. Again, going back to the whole as a metaphor for being trans thing, that line is called out in some of the articles I've read. Uh, But she says that there is a man named Morpheus who has all of the answers that Neo is looking for and she can connect him to Morpheus and he can get this information. And the next
2: day, uh, Thomas Anderson is at his job at some random corporation, and he's just some drone there. Kind of almost like an office space kind of thing. Like the boss is like, oh, you're no one special, Mr. Anderson, because he's late. He's, right.
1: Also uh, foreshadowing. Yeah. You're not anyone special.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I also found that, you know, just as a software engineer, kind of interesting that they portrayed this software company as being very rigid, being on time. Everyone's wearing suits. The cubicles are really plain, although that part's probably somewhat accurate. But they—they they were clearly trying to set a tone, which is 1999. This is the middle of the dot-com boom.
2: Yeah, I mean, and you're an engineer. Is this
1: accurate the, the way it looks? Here? Not,
0: not at all. Especially <laughs> not at that time.
1: <laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, isn't it all just like dudes with like crazy long hair sitting in bean bags, like playing air hockey and stuff?
0: Yeah, that's pretty much what it was at the time. I guess they were trying to uh, make him more of like a corporate drone kind of person to try to create some contrast with his character as it's going to be later on in the movie.
2: Right, definitely. That's interesting. Uh, And uh, Neo is at his cubicle and he receives like a FedEx package. And this is a really cool scene. He tears open the envelope, a flip phone falls into his hand and immediately rings. Neo picks up the phone, and it's this voice, uh, which turns out to be Morpheus, and he basically says, they're on to you, agents are coming to get you, and he guides Neo into a back room, and he's like, the only way to escape here before the agents come is you're gonna have to go climb out into the ledge on your outside of the window and walk around the building, and I'll help guide you out, and Thomas Anderson, he goes on the ledge, he actually does walk a couple feet on the ledge, and then he's like... This is crazy. And he turns himself in. He goes back inside. And the agents do pick him up and bring him
0: downtown to some interrogation room. The whole time that that scene's happening, I'm just thinking, put the phone in your pocket. Put the phone in your pocket. Please don't go around the outside of the building holding that phone in your hand. That is a good point. <laughs> like, although, I mean, you have to assume it was very windy up
2: there, too. But uh, the point is, he's now in the interrogation room. And the, the agents at first are trying a couple tactics that are like, oh, this Morpheus, he's a terrorist. And you need to help us capture him. And, and Neo, he doesn't know what the deal with Morpheus is, but he knows... Maybe in like a hacker code, like he just goes, well, maybe I'll just give you guys the finger. And he like, I'm not narking on this, uh, on this famous hacker. So he's like, I'm not going to help you guys.
1: Right. And then Agent Smith does a little trick and he says, okay, well, you say you want a phone call, but what's the point of having a phone call if you can't speak? And then Anderson's mouth basically disappears, uh, which is a kind of a cool effect and the agent puts a scorpion-like thing into his belly button and it's just really creepy but so after this thing is put inside of him he wakes up and he has that feeling of like well i guess that was all just a crazy dream but then he's picked up by trinity and a couple of her friends and they take the thing out of him with this weird big device. You know, he's like, oh my God, that was real. And they take him to meet Morpheus, who is played by the unbelievable Lawrence Fishburne. And this is one of those iconic scenes that the movie is known for, where Morpheus is talking to Neo and he says, you have a choice. You have the red pill or the blue pill.
0: Although it was worded kind of ambiguously. Blue pill was, was go back and this never happened. Right. Or red pill was learn the truth.
1: Would you take the red pill, Uri?
0: I would definitely take the red pill. I might take the blue pill too, just to see what happens if you take both of them at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, got to break, the that's gotta break something. <laughs>
1: that would be a great prank to play on Morpheus.
0: I'm just kind of curious since you were mentioning like trans gender issues earlier. I'm wondering if did the red pill movement, did they just piggyback on this analogy or was this something that inspired it?
2: Oh, you're absolutely right. So what you're referring to is there is this, uh, I think it's a subreddit on reddit, Um, Men's rights? Yes. Well, I mean, the men's rights thing was there can be things that aren't really fair to men, you know, maybe divorce custody proceedings. And there were these men that essentially, I mean, they hated women. They want to tell people, quote unquote, the truth about how they are really oppressed. And so I believe that they titled their subreddit, The Red Pill. And that's supposed to be like the
0: real truth. Do I have it right? Because I don't like read those things. I, I don't, am not an expert in these areas either, but my impression was they were just different levels of uh, misogyny. That men's ride is a little bit, red pill is worse and incels are the worst. Yeah, I think so.
1: And to answer your question, yes, it comes from this movie. And, you know, in some of the articles I was reading, they pointed out that it's ironic slash maybe a, weird kind of laughable that this movie that is all about trans rights has also sort of inspired this sort of misogynistic close-minded group of chest-beating men it's sort of odd that it would be an iconic movie for trans people and these pricks so it's kind of weird that it happened that way and that's sort of i guess you could say one of the interesting things about movies and about art in general is you look at it from different points of view and you can take away different things but two very different sides coming at the same thing
2: so he takes the red pill and suddenly the screen kind of goes blank and suddenly we see this guy this guy with a shaved head wake up out of a pod in in a thunderstorm and it's full of Goo everywhere. This guy's covered in wires, almost like you'd be in a hospital, like with an IV in you. But like these things are like into his spine. Uh, he pulls out some kind of feeding or breathing tube out of his throat. We realize pretty quickly that this is Thomas Anderson. He has no hair, and we get a very quick like lightning flashes, and we see whatever pod he was in. There seems to be like tens of thousands of them. And suddenly he is ejected into some kind of river and a bright light comes out of somewhere. It's an aircraft called the Nebuchadnezzar and it is Morpheus's ship.
1: Uh, Do you know what the name Nebuchadnezzar is, by the way? It's an ancient historical guy who did something. That's better
2: than I thought you would get. I thought you were just going to call me a nerd or something. You know about
1: the ancient... Babylonians and stuff better than I do. Ba-
2: he's a... Yes! Is Good it,
1: for you. It is an ancient Babylonian? Yes! Okay, and cool. And he is a dude that did something. Oh, so I was totally right. <laughs> yes. Way to go, me. Maybe you don't know so much more than me after all,
2: jerk. Well, I mean, he's, he's a big uh, king in the Bible and he like he wrecks the uh, Hebrew kingdom, the, the Jews, uh, pretty bad.
1: Um, then why did Morpheus name his ship after him?
2: I, I don't know. So Neo is now in the real world because everyone in The Matrix, I mean, Morpheus looks so slick and those sunglasses. Basically, Morpheus wears these really cool Ray-Bans that don't have things that connect to his ears. It's just the lenses. It's so cool how he wears them. But in the real world, it's like decrepit, kind of like a sci-fi, like aliens kind of uh, spaceship. A lot of like metal girders and
1: stuff. Right. Honestly, my biggest question about this movie slash the biggest clue that life in The Matrix isn't real is those sunglasses I mean like there's no way those should be able to stay on his face
2: yeah they're, they're very cool basically Morpheus gives uh, Neo a quick explanation of what's going on he says that the whole world is this uh, simulation and they go look let's go into the matrix right now it's what they call a training program it's just a, basically like a blank white floor white walls basically as if they're floating
1: Right. And in this simulation, Morpheus explains to Neo what the Matrix is.
0: He's been explaining it a few times now. He keeps saying, do you want to learn? But then he doesn't actually say what it is, which has been kind of frustrating. So it's nice to hear him actually say what the Matrix is at this point. Um, The history was that the humans created AI. I guess there was a war they were relying on solar power at the time, the robots, so the humans scorched the atmosphere so that solar power, uh, they wouldn't be able to get their power anymore. So they, the AI decided to use humans as their new power source. And so they created the matrix to occupy their minds, I guess, while they're in these pods. It is true that the human body generates uh, some
2: electricity, but I always thought this was an incredibly silly thing. It would have made so much more sense for them to say, the human brain is actually a really powerful computer. So they need like the human brains to power their mainframes or something. And I just always thought it was kind of silly that they couldn't think of any other way to power anything, except you know the like, like couple watts that the human
0: body makes.
1: Or figure out a way to clear up the atmosphere so you get to the sun again.
0: So this is one place where they slacked off a little bit in producing the movie was when they take Keanu Reeves out of that pod. They go through the whole story about we have to rebuild your muscles because you haven't used them and your eyes have never been used before so they're hurting. But I'm just watching him come out of this pod and he's all muscular and I'm just thinking couldn't they have made him look like not muscular
1: <laughs> right he still kind of looks like keanu reeves just with a haircut yeah you know,
0: shaved head especially if they're going to make a big deal about how they had to give him muscle right
1: yeah that's a that's a very good point they do train neo with basically software so they upload all of this stuff into his brain you know uh kung fu and Drunken boxing and all of these different, you know, fighting styles, which leads to the memorable line where he says, I know Kung Fu, uh, and that great Keanu Reeves voice. And they do a training simulation, Morpheus and Neo, where they fight. And it's basically just Morpheus trying to explain to Neo that when he is in a simulation like this training simulation or the Matrix, There are rules that can be bent, and there are rules that can be broken, like speed and gravity and all of these things. And he says, hit me. Just hit me. All you have to do is hit me. And as fast as Neo gets, Morpheus is always faster, and Neo is unable to hit him.
0: It's been a while since I've seen the movie. So I'm expecting that from my memory from 20 years ago, that this is the point when he learns to fly and to fight like a robot— but really, uh, he doesn't learn a whole lot in this, in this training program. It's more, I guess, a scene for us to learn about how he has to learn how to fight, because he doesn't actually accomplish anything.
1: <laughs> that's a very good point, Ari. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like it's more for the audience. And I think that's a fair criticism you could make about this movie, or at least the movie's first act in general, that there's a lot of stuff where it's like, I'm going to tell you about The Matrix, soon, you know, where it's like, just get to it already. Um, Yeah, so he's basically explaining to him about the Matrix, and
2: there's a couple other simulation programs, but they also tell him the rules about who the agents are. They don't give too much detail, but the agents are bad guys, and they are there to maintain control. They work for the machines, and inside the Matrix, any person in the Matrix can turn into an agent and attack them, and Cypher explains, or I think it was Trinity, explains that agents always kill us whenever we go in, so basically you want to avoid agents whenever possible and he's like what do you do when you see an agent Run!" right so uh, they decide that they're gonna go back into the matrix specifically because they're gonna go see this person that's sort of a mentor to these rebels and that is this mysterious figure named the Oracle I remember the first time I saw it I was thinking of like the never-ending story and it's gonna be something unbelievably cool And, uh, they're in a crappy apartment and like, it's like in Queens or something, or maybe Manhattan, like it's nothing special. And they go, we don't quite see the Oracle yet, but when we go into the Oracle's apartment, there are some children and these children are kind of dressed like, almost like you'd imagine like, like young monks would be dressed.
0: Well, so the, the kids are, I, I guess, supposed to be prodigies that have figured out how to manipulate the Matrix. So you see them like bending spoons.
2: Keanu's like, how do you bend a spoon? And that's when the kid tells him the secret to quote-unquote bending spoon. He doesn't bend the spoon. There is no spoon. It's like what Morpheus was telling Keanu, like, stop thinking you're in a dojo. Like, you're not breathing air right now. These are ones and zeros. So the guy just basically says, it's like when you're in a dream. You ever get into a dream and then when you realize you're in a dream, it kind of ruins it. It's no longer scary or dangerous. Or you wake up and you try to go back into that dream, but you kind of know what's going on, so it ruins the illusion. So the
1: Oracle is this all-powerful seer who can see the future, and the reason Morpheus wanted to bring Neo to her is because Morpheus is convinced that Neo is the one. And the one is basically the chosen one. You know, we've seen that trope in countless other movies. Basically, you know, the savior, the one that's going to turn the tide in this battle between humanity and the machines and artificial intelligence. And whatever the Oracle tells you is between you and the Oracle. And you're not supposed to ask, well, what did the Oracle tell you? And what the Oracle tells Neo is that he's a real nice boy and golly gee shucks, ain't he grand, but he's not the one. And at some point he's going to have to decide to either he himself will die or Morpheus will die, and he's going to have to choose. And the Oracle is played by the actress, of the late actress, Gloria Foster.
2: And it's basically this little old lady. Uh, she's adorable. She's literally pulling chocolate chip cookies out of the oven when she meets Neo. Gloria Foster is so good at this.
1: That is true. And then after they leave this very important meeting with the Oracle, the group is ready to leave the matrix and go back to reality but neo has this moment of deja vu where he sees the same cat twice and apparently deja vu means that there's a glitch in the matrix and they realize that they're being set up by the agents and what happened was cypher who is played by joey pants joe Pantaleano, and usually plays like a Bad guy or scumbag one way or another. And in this movie, at first, I was like, oh, yeah, he's a good guy in this movie, but no, he's the son of a bitch. He sold them out uh, because he doesn't want to live in this awful, terrible real world anymore, and he wants to have a nice, fake life in The Matrix, even though it's fake, he doesn't care. So the agents basically uh, surround our heroes, and Cipher is the one who makes it back safely to the real world
0: first. It, it was a really badass scene when, uh, when Mouse was uh, waiting for the rest of his crew to show up and the agents broke in and he just pulls out all these weapons and starts unloading all of them and you don't even expect that. They're just like under the desk.
2: Right, because Mouse's character, he, I mean, I don't know the actors, he's very Tom Holland-esque. Like he's a, he's a little kid playing with these grown-ups. Uh, he dies and I feel very bad when he dies because something interesting is when you die in The Matrix, you not only die in the real world, but he's kind of bloodied in the real world too like his lips are bleeding and then uh, Morpheus is captured and most of the rest of the team uh Trinity Switch and Neo and, and uh there's one other member of their team they all escape and they're now waiting by uh one of these analog phones and they're basically like Cypher give us an exit and suddenly Cypher's like I am now gonna sell you guys out." And he basically unplugs them one by one. So switch, he kills. He kills another member of the team. He's about to kill Trinity. Uh, he's about to kill Neo, rather. And he goes, Oh, but this Neo, this guy who's supposed to be the one, Morpheus is, it's all bullshit. He's a fake uh, cult leader. You guys are all crazy. Stop following him. Because if this guy really was the one, then there'd be no way I can kill him. So when Cypher was woken up by uh, the team that was still in the Nebuchadnezzar, Cypher killed the rest of the crew, except it turns out he only wounded one of them. The surviving crew member of the Nebuchadnezzar was able to kill Cypher right before he unplugs Neo. So he saves the day. Neo and Trinity are pulled out, uh, even though most of the team is dead, except that they can't pull Morpheus out because Morpheus has been captured by the agents.
0: So one thing that I did notice in this movie a few times was they put a lot of effort into the effects inside of the Matrix, but outside of the Matrix is actually not that detailed, right? You see the inside of the ship a lot, but you don't really see the outside of the ship except in like dark places. You're right. And this film, I think it's about three years
2: before The Matrix uh, Reloaded comes out. Four. Uh, four years. and. There was so much speculation. They mentioned that there's one last city called Zion, and I think it's so smart that they don't go to Zion. You don't really know where Zion is. They, I think they say it's near the Earth's core, so yeah. they've dug down to the middle of the planet. Like, I like that we don't really know. Like, what do the cities look like? Morpheus shows us a picture of what it sort of looks like inside the Matrix, but I like that there's a lot of mystery. But that's a very good point. So, uh, Morpheus is stuck in the Matrix, and they realize that it's not really Morpheus in the Matrix, it's Morpheus's avatar, if you will. The agents eventually will break down this Morpheus avatar, and they will reveal all the secrets that uh, Morpheus knows about Zion. And we basically can't allow Morpheus to live, so there's only one way to prevent the agents from getting the information. That's that they're going to unplug Morpheus and kill him, sacrifice him, if you will.
1: Right. And this is exactly what the Oracle had said to Neo, that, you know, Neo is going to have to decide whether Morpheus dies or Neo dies. And this is that moment. And Neo says, I'm going to go in and save him because I'm not the one. That's also what the Oracle told me. So he goes in. Trinity says, you're not going in alone. I'm going in with you. And they decide that they need guns. And they go into the Matrix. There's this big, huge shootout in, you know, the lobby of the building where Morpheus is being held on the 88th floor or whatever it is.
2: And, you know, it's almost no CGI in that entire lobby scene. It's mostly practical effects.
1: I did not know that. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it's really amazing choreography. A lot of wires that they're doing flips off walls, but the slow-mo with the green tint of the
0: lens is, it's such a cool scene. So I'm I'm also trying to figure out having seen a bunch of other sci-fi movies, I can't figure out what kind of AI is this. Clearly there's more than one AI because the three of the, the agents don't talk to each other. They don't know what each other is thinking. But are we supposed to think that there's three AI in this world? Are there millions and billions of robots? Or, or is there one? And do they work for that one? Or what, like, what is this AI world?
1: I think we get a little bit more of that information in the sequels. Yeah. But I'm confused about something you just said. You said, having seen a lot of other sci-fi movies, I thought you didn't watch movies, Uri.
0: <laughs> I've seen I've seen a bunch in the narrow
2: window of time. I do also like when you're like, clearly there are several AIs. And I'm looking at Al and I was like, uh, yeah, uh, clearly there were several different versions of artificial intelligence, you know. Type one and all the other types, yeah, as they were.
1: (laughs) I think you bring up a good point, and that was a question I had about like the nature of these agents and how they're all tied to AI and what is the power pulling the strings and how it works. And it's not entirely clear. Maybe you could say that it's purposefully uh, ambiguous. I think it's a little frustrating in the movie's lack of explanation for that you could also separate from that make the point of isn't it interesting in our real world assuming that this is the real world and not a matrix but we invented ai and we didn't have a war with it we invited it into our homes and we tell it what kind of stuff we want to buy on amazon you know like that's how it ended up working so not a total perfect prediction by the wachowskis
2: let me ask you this uh i always had a little problem with this because every agent is basically a a good guy human right and they take over their body like each one of these people that they shoot and kill in the lobby that's another human that's being thrown into the water outside
1: right yes i think the justification for that in the universe is that. That person is just a battery anyway. There is no way that that person is going to be saved, and you know it's a making it an omelet, you gotta crack a few eggs kind of a deal. I do agree with you though that is a flaw of the storytelling that they are just wantonly murdering innocent people slash batteries, whatever they are. I mean, they could even have a line or two in there of you know. I hate doing it, but it's what we got to do or something like that.
2: I just didn't think it's necessary that agents come from humans. I think they should just be able to appear out of outlets or whatever. I I just thought it would be an easier way for them to just appear anywhere.
1: Well, I mean, it's not just agents. I mean, anyone who they shoot, like the guards who work in that building, even if they're not agents, then if it's a real person, then yes, it is a battery who's getting flushed down the the drain or whatever.
2: Right. The four cops that Trinity kills in the beginning are totally innocent. uh, You know, officer O'Connell is two days from retirement. Absolutely. (laughs) I think we could take down one girl, send the guy who's two days from retirement, you know, little Susie, his daughter's, uh, you know, she needs the extra pay for her wheelchair. And you know, this guy
0: is uh, killed. I didn't get the impression that they were really considering the ethics of what they were doing at all. No, I think they do, but I think it's probably more what Al's saying. That it's uh, not ideal
2: what they want to do, but they certainly can't be killed by this cop. (laughs) And they get to the rooftop, and that's where arguably the most famous scene, and this is probably a a pivotal uh, scene in motion picture history, the scene that's sometimes affectionately known as the bullet time sequence.
0: So they're on the roof, and this is the first time that Neo is fighting with an agent, and he's learning to move like the like the agent moves. He's not perfect at it yet because he still manages to get hit a few times at the end. But it's the first foreshadowing that we see that he's getting better and he's actually starting to to act more like a hero and less like uh, you know a question mark. We don't know where this movie's going to go with him.
2: Right, he moves so slow, and you're kind of confused as to uh, what's going on here, and Trinity Laser tells him, no, you weren't moving slow, you were moving incredibly fast, and it was actually relative to a bullet, you were able to duck it, it's a very cool concept, and now it kind of goes, wait a second, but... I thought he wasn't the one. And he just told us he wasn't the one. And now uh, they decide, all right, we've escaped the agents. we got to go get Morpheus. So uh, Trinity just says, you know, Tank, I need to download the uh, able to, you know, fly a DC-11 helicopter. And 10 seconds later, she knows how to fly this helicopter. I used to go through medical school and just thinking, could you imagine if in 10 seconds I know the entire anatomy book or just 30 seconds later, you know, every single case of the last 60 years of the New England Journal of Medicine accessible in one second. It's it's just such a great
1: idea. So Neo and Trinity rescue Morpheus in the helicopter and, you know, the helicopter crashes, but Neo is able to save Morpheus and he's able to save Trinity and it's really cool. And then it boils down to this one-on-one fight between Neo versus Smith, and they start fighting in a subway station, and Smith throws Neo onto the tracks, and just before the train is coming, Neo jumps away and is is safe. I was reading uh, something that one of the Wachowskis, uh, a couple years before they made the Matrix, uh, one of them jumped on a subway track and was going to kill themselves and then uh, at the last second decided against it and and came up onto the platform and obviously went on to make The Matrix and and other movies but this was based on that personal experience which I thought was really interesting. And Neo is just about to escape. He's going to get away from the agents. He opens the door where the phone is where he's going to make his escape back into the real world and Agent Smith is waiting for him and he shoots him. Like, point blank, in the chest, several times, and Neo is dead. You're just kind of like, whoa, didn't expect that to happen.
2: Yeah, you go back to the real world, and he's flatlined. Neo is dead dead. And at the same time, there are actual machines attacking the Nebuchadnezzar from the outside of the ship. And there's only one weapon that the Nebuchadnezzar has against these ships, and that's to fire an EMP, electromagnetic pulse. And that will kill all these machines, but what it'll also do is it's going to shut down all of the Matrix uh, simulations that the team is plugged into. So right now, Neo is still plugged into the machine, and Morpheus have escaped so if they fire this EMP the whole Nebuchadnezzar and the crew will be safe but Neo's gonna die so they've been waiting for Neo to get out before they flip the EMP but now Neo's dead and you're thinking like alright we might as well do the EMP now but Morpheus he just can't even believe it cause he's like wait what like fuck it if this guy who I thought was the one
1: is dead what chance do we have let's just sit here and die It's a really impactful moment, and then Trinity is talking to Neo, and she reveals what the Oracle told her, which was that she would fall in love with someone, and that someone would be the one, so he can't be dead. And apparently these words get through to Neo, and he somehow wakes up. I didn't really fully understand how that worked if he was dead. Ernie, did you get that?
0: I think it's supposed to be a love story. In fact, I'm thinking of this whole movie as kind of a Disney fairy tale of the one. It's kind of a parallel to finding your soulmate, right? The insinuation that I got was that he's brought back to life by love.
2: He is. I I mean, my theory is that this is uh, a ship in a bottle. I think that the Nebuchadnezzar is in another sub-level of the Matrix. I think that they're not actually in the real world. It's sort of an Inception thing. They were two levels deep. But you're right, it's not really explained, uh, except for the fact that Neo, uh, he does wake up, the dead body inside the Matrix. And then the the agents who had just seen him die are like... Uh, yeah, bitch, we killed you once. We'll just fucking kill you again. And all three agents uh, hold up their magnums. They fire, not point blank, they're on the other side of the apartment now. And they fire 50 feet away and we see a bullet time. Again, these bullets are traveling towards Neo. They are
1: going to get him right in the forehead. And Neo just holds out his hand and stops them. And this is a callback to a line from earlier when Neo said... Are you saying that I can dodge bullets? And Morpheus says, I'm saying that eventually you won't have to. And now we're at the point where Neo doesn't have to dodge the bullets. He jumps into Agent Smith and like destroys him from within, kind of.
0: So I guess the idea was supposed to be that when the agents jump into people, they take over them. And he jumped into this agent and the agent kind of like exploded outwards and you see like pieces of his face like fly at the camera. I was always, to be honest, a little bit underwhelmed by Agent Smith's quote-unquote
2: death in this film. Like that thing you set out was brilliant. The bullet thing, you'll realize that you won't need to dodge bullets. Like I wish there was something they told us. It was kind of just a deus ex machina thing that just at the end like, oh yeah, here's another power he can do. Just jump into him and make him explode.
1: Right. It is unsatisfying. And I found it to be also unsatisfying that they bring back the character in the sequel. And we can talk about that next week when we talk about The Matrix Reloaded. But I just found all of that to be a bummer, especially considering, and we didn't talk about this, but how unbelievable Hugo Weaving is in the role of Agent Smith and his speech that he gives to Morpheus and every like move of his face, the twitch of his lip and the way he just despises humanity. I mean, it is unbelievably acted. And yeah, it is an unsatisfying end to his character.
2: This is what you'd call a career-defining role. I mean, Hugo, he was, I mean, he'd go on to do Lord of the Rings and a lot of stuff, but you look up his IMDb, he's in a lot of films before The Matrix,
0: but you never heard of him. But this film, he, he's just so good. So the, there was another piece of the movie that they just kind of left hanging there, and I haven't seen the next two, so I'm curious if they come back to this. But the three agents in the scene where they're they're interrogating one of them you know says how he hates humans and he takes his earpiece out and the other two they come back later and they say what were you doing why didn't you have your earpiece in and they were suspicious and i'm just kind of curious when i see that i was like Do the AI actually have divisions within them? Yes, they do. They do get involved in that in the next two films. That There's
2: the agents and then there's actually Smith. And in this film, Smith is kind of like, all right, we're kind of going to work together against these guys. But no, Smith is a little bit on his own in the next two.
1: Right. All right, but yeah, so that's the end of the movie. It ends with Neo sort of making this message about how They're going to fight back and this isn't the end of the story. It's only just beginning and he flies off and and that's the end.
2: He basically ends the movie by saying, I'm going to tell all the people here that they're living in a matrix. I mean, if some guy was in in Times Square, there's probably a guy in Times Square that thinks uh, we're in the matrix or something. But that guy is not showing us anything to prove it. What Neo does is he goes, watch this. And he just flies past the empire state building and presumably millions of new yorkers just saw this and that's how the movie ends and i'm thinking oh everyone in the matrix is going to wake up now because look what they just saw and we don't know what's going to
1: happen but it ends on an awesome chemical brothers song right all right so we've gone through this movie Uri, you are a very special guest this week Tell us, what do you think about The Matrix does and does not stand the test of time?
0: So I think that the effects of the movie do look pretty good. That's held up pretty well, even for a modern day movie. Um, The plot is, I would say, consistent for the decade that it was made, but has a lot of holes in it. So I don't know if writers these days are putting more effort into editing the plots of the movies before they go and produce them than they did back then. But it seems like they've become more sophisticated if you look at like newer movies. So I, I would say that overall the movie holds up pretty well compared to other movies for its time. Uh, they wouldn't have to change much if they wanted to like make it look like a new movie again.
1: So do you think that overall the movie stands the test of time?
0: Uh, yeah, I would say it does.
1: Okay, very good. James, your thoughts? I'll tell you, you know, some
2: things that don't hold up. I remember one phone in this film being so freaking cool. And that was one of these flip phones that they have where it wasn't a flip phone where it where it uh, folded open like one of those old razor phones, but he pressed a button in the middle and almost like one of those automatic umbrellas that pop open, the, the whole phone kind of expanded a little. Don't you remember that phone being so cool looking?
1: Yeah, sadly, yes.
2: Yeah, and that I remember just looking at being like, oh, yeah, I mean, uh, no, it's not. But uh, interesting you say that there are a lot of plot holes in this film. I will have to say that the plot holes don't bother me because every single plot hole I would, in like just talking with friends, maybe even Al, maybe uh, you back then, I just assumed they're going to fix that or they're going to address what that is in the sequel. Um the other thing that holds up, the acting. It's so good. Keanu Reeves is really good in this film. You know, This was a phenomenon around the world. It's a fantastic film and to me does stand up, does stand the test of time. Alan, it's two votes for yes. What do you think of this film? Does it or does it not stand the test of time?
1: Well, I think you really brought up a lot of good points there, Uri uri not you james i was like
2: oh thank you al but wait
1: yeah uh no there are plot holes that definitely bothered me about this movie and i remembered something this morning that didn't occur to me last night when i was watching the movie you know i remember at the time when this movie came out everyone was saying like oh my god this movie is so original you've never seen anything like it And that's true for a lot of reasons. The bullet time and, you know, the whole world isn't real. But I did kind of feel like in the future the robots take over and we're all enslaved and killed by machines, robots, artificial intelligence. I have seen that movie done, most notably in the Terminator films and others. And, okay, you know, so there's slow motion bullets and stuff, but... It's not that revolutionary of a concept that, you know, robots take over. And I also have a little bit of a problem with this sort of kind of rehashing of very well-known and well-established tropes of this person is the one who can save us. Is he really? I don't know. I hope he is. Oh, he is. You know, like that's been done to death. And a movie like this, which has a very heady existential core of what is reality and who are we and what is the meaning of life also just falls into this whole thing of like how do we solve our problems with bullets with guns and (coughs) punching people which is also a problem i had with inception which is also a brilliant movie with all of these really big you know heady concepts that also has a lot of just shooting random bad guys too and I understand why that happens from a movie making perspective but it is kind of unsatisfying that said when Neo jumps into Agent Smith and makes him blow up that's also unsatisfying because wait how the hell did he do that so I understand how this is tricky and it can be hard to please an audience uh, especially an audience that's difficult to please hi looking at myself I know that's me um but I am going to say that The Matrix does stand the test of time because it just has influenced pop culture in such a way. It's such a big deal 20 years later. I am excited to re-watch the sequels. And, Hurry, you want to come back and uh, talk about The Matrix Reloaded next week and The Matrix Revolutions the week after that?
0: Uh, I'll consider it.
1: Being cagey, I appreciate it, Uri, thank you for joining us this week. It was great having you.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: I hope you come back to talk about the Matrix sequels. I guess we'll see. You'll have to tune in next week to find out if Uri is back or if you take the blue pill and you know go back to your simple life in the Matrix. But in the meantime, we want to know what you guys think about the Matrix. Let us know. We are at Test of Time Pod. Write to us about your your feelings, your thoughts. And uh, until next time, goodbye, everybody. Bye.